welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 226, or it could be 225B, or concluding unscientific postscript to episode 225. But in, in, in any event, I'm Scott Jones. I'm Bill Bork. And we're back yet again. Yes, you, you called us back into the, uh, to the bunker because you, you had more to say. I always have more to say. Yeah, but you actually literally, was it the next day or was it the Yeah, other? I almost thought, yeah, I would have even done it over the weekend, but yeah, I like, we waited until Monday, which is apropos. All right, so you you want to, you're just excited about the super lapsarian position. I, I am so excited about it. I think it is the joy of Christian comfort, consolation, and hope. All right, well, why don't we define terms for our listeners, the ones that we will still have by the end of this episode? You know, I actually recorded the Synaxis podcast with Glenn Stallsmith, who's a great guy doing his THG at Duke, and I told him what we were talking about today. He was so enthused. He's like, I can't wait to listen. So, right. At least one person. One person, all right. At least he lo- he likes the podcast, and he was That's very, good. He all was right. very, very good. thrilled that we were talking about something. Well, that makes two of you, then. <laughs> <laughs> you don't love this topic. I don't, but that's okay. How can you not I love don't it? have How to love it. love it. This is true. You do not have to love everything. This, matter of fact, loving this would feel very disordered. <laughs> Let me just quote, begin with a quote from Luther uh, when some very creative theological mind asked him what he thought God was doing before he created the world. And Luther quipped, he was b- busy creating hell for foolish theologians who pry into such things. <laughs> By the way, that's apocryphal. All right. Well, if he yeah, didn't I, say it, it's been attributed to Calvin, it's been attributed to other people. But... If he didn't say it, he should have. <laughs> Huh. That's not something more like Calvin would say than Luther. Uh, that, well, that's Luther, too witty. That's a little, well, Luther, Luther would say it with kind of a glimmer in his eyes. Calvin would say it with the full wealth of conviction. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's true. <laughs> well, anyway, so uh, infralapsarian, superlapsarian, I think the terms actually, uh, I think the debate Probably the most famous part of the debate was part of the Dutch Calvinist debate. But Absolutely. It, Those terms come, come from of, that. Yeah. yeah. So the idea is basically, did God's decree to save a certain people come before supra or after infra his decree to permit the fall? Lapse. So before or after the fall. So infralapsarians basically argue that in order to not charge God with injustice or sin, it's necessary that God's election of human beings to salvation be made from the sea of humanity or, you know, the human population who are sinners already. So the decree to ordain the fall has to logically come before the decree to elect people to salvation. Now, this is all pre-temporal. This is sort of in God's mind, which is God deciding to do first. It's like if you're planning a party— are you going to get the booze first or the food first? And for some reason, in the 17th century, there was a small group of Dutch thinkers who actually knew the mind of God. <laughs> hey, who doesn't? So, otherwise, if God didn't think this way or order to decrease this way, in ordering to destruction those who were not yet fallen, the charge could be made against God that he was responsible for their sin and rebellion. So it makes God the author of sin, rebellion, evil, so to speak. Okay, let's say it, let's say it straight. That's no, no chasers. It makes God the author of evil. Yeah. 
which his eternal plan demanded of them. So know, know the superlapsarian respond that God's eternal plan to redeem some and not others from the outset while requiring sin and the fall doesn't make God culpable. Uh, and furthermore, it better fits the biblical evidence of God's prerogative to use evil for the con- accomplishment of prior designs. Is this evidence that demands a verdict? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Much like internet Calvinists now, by the way, comments, uh, comments Jeffrey Carter, a friend from California, the internet Calvinists. Uh, yeah, that's very, very, most internet Calvinists do think. So why, what's the, what's the evidence for this? So the, so, so the, so, and this plan logic requires, so, so God's ultimate purpose for creation or redemption history is the triumph of the Lamb. And both in the destruction of the unrighteous and, or, and the salvation of his people, this plan logically requires the existence of sin and God's triumph over sin through righteous judgment and sovereign mercy. So if God's ultimate purpose in history is to display his glory in the person and work of Christ, and if the manifold glory requ- requ- includes righteous, against, righteous wrath against sin, then God's eternal purpose of redemption necessitated the fall and did not just respond to it would be the superlapsarian response. And that, that was cribbed in part from the monergism.org website. So credit to them. So you, want to, you wanted to give an apology for superlapsarianism. I do. Well, first of all, Richard Mao wrote this book about Calvinism. I think it's in his book on common grace. I think I have this book. And he said, uh, basically, his idea is like... How, whether you're an infra or superlapsarian completely determines your social ethics. <laughs> and he thought infralapsarian is the only way to be. But I, I think that, yeah, I think that, so So my my question would be to you, is the incarnation plan B or plan A? So is, is, is the incarnation a response, a sort of plan B, an emergency kind of response to a problem, or is it the beginning of God's works and ways in creation? Um, or is it a doctrine that doesn't have anything primarily, it only has a secondary relationship to the fall? I, I, you could say that. Yeah, that's what Irenaeus would say. Uh, that yeah. the plan, there was all God always planned for there to be the incarnation because that's, that ultimately is the revelation of God. Uh, it was because of human sin that the incarnation had to end in a crucifixion. But the plan was always for an incarnation because that's who God is. So then we would abstract the incarnation from the slain lamb or Jesus of Nazareth. So that you, No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's this, for instance, there doesn't need to be a prior cause for a free will decision. Now, since we're creating this kind of artificial Adam and Eve thing anyway, I mean, it's not it's the myth about... What are you saying? The robots from Westworld? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That'd be a cool Westworld thing to create, like... Okay, you can go in the in the pre in the prelapsarian park where I don't even running around with the serpent. I, I tell cool. you, it's getting it's getting increasingly increasingly theological. Yeah, right? it's so awesome. last, uh, the last episodes of Westworld were very theological, amazing, and actually, and actually very apropos to this discussion in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, but um, no, there doesn't. I mean, on, on one level, there doesn't need to be a prior cause for a free will decision. So the fact is. That if Adam and Eve actually had the freedom, that you know, the, I mean, we're we're creating this kind of theoretical framework based on the narratives. So therefore, um, God didn't have to have any kind of preconditions going into that. I mean, there there didn't have to be a plan B, particularly for Marinaeus, because the revelation of God was going to include the incarnation. So the fact is that you don't have to have God. Again, I think this whole construct is, you know, where we may be looking for an answer to a question that neither you or I actually have, but 
given the tradition, given the history, I think you can, the, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world is in Revelation, and is, that's the only place it says it, and, that's, and I think it's a powerful. First Peter, there's something like that. I, uh, there, there's there's what's, well, what's language. The, what's the language of First Peter? Yes, uh, we're bought, uh, there's slain, lain, slain lamb language. Well, no, I'm not saying. I think it's a very powerful. I think it's a very powerful metaphor. Matter of fact, it 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 does. It's one of those images, one of those kind of mythical tropes that uh, you know get behind this idea that it wasn't just poor Jesus, you know, at the wrong at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Well, let me just summarize. You you will be against Jensen and I today. Uh, so Jensen is summarizing, which I believe neither of you are in inner, inerrant. Who knows? I, well, I'll tell you who is Michael Avenatti. <laughs> I I predicted for. Oh. <laughs> Okay. I love whenever something happens. Is that he, why? Is that he why? knows the date? April sixth. I predicted. Is the that why his firm went bankrupt? Well, you know, but he's um, <laughs> so Jensen says. You know, is the incarnation indeed a mission of emergency repair? At least two alternatives could be devised. The one alternative is that sin and its repair are under, understood as incidental to the determining of God's story with us. That Christ would have come as a human to fulfill humanity. Also, if there had been no sin, and so it is right. right. and so in an incarnation that would not have included death. This reading can be found in, in Greek fathers and medieval Byzantine theologians, or at least constructed from their texts. The second alternative refuses to abstract in this way from the actual incarnation and construe an incarnation that would not have included death for our sins. On this alternative, our not having sin becomes itself unthinkable in view of Christ's coming. This reading is perhaps most clearly and systematically proposed by Karl Barth. According to Ephesians, it is God's choice before the foundation of the world that we should be his children through Jesus Christ. It is the mystery of his will set forth in Christ, just so to unite all things in the fullness of time. Could we really cut in him we have redemption through his blood from its place in the center of this passage and have all the rest as it is? After Colossians has specified his beloved son in whom we have the forgiveness of sins, can we really abstract from the character of his reality when the passage immediately continues about the one so characterizes the image of the invisible God for in him all things were created? So you're saying that the evil's in the world for the greater glory of God? Yes, that's that would be the position of... You know, including the torture of children, the Holocaust, two million children, beat kids in cages right now. Uh, yeah, all the women that were raped and so that's for the greater glory of God. I'm saying that I think that there's there's not. I mean, I would say that that evil is not brought into the world without outside of the fact that to be triumphed over and in a sort of in the victory of hope and grace. But I think other than anything other than that, we have to like make God, you just have, I think that you have to, I think you have to severely hem in God in a way that to, to get, to get God clean hands. I think, I think theolo- you have to do theologically gymnastics. So God's the author of the Holocaust. Uh, Ultimately, that was, you'd have to say that. God is, God, Creates a world in which Holocaust happen when, no, when God the, could have created I mean, one in which they didn't have. That's a superlapsarianism. I mean, God, in essence, if He's the author of evil, then all of the evil is at His footstep. On some level, now, now let me t- let me respond via Jensen, since you know it's easier to hard to argue with Jensen. Uh, so here's Jensen's answer to this to this to your question. The consequences of deciding that the incarnation is neither an emergency measure nor construable apart from sin, that precisely the gospel of forgiveness is not an afterthought, are, of course, extreme. 
usual assumptions about the content of God's eternal will and his relation to sin and evil and about the relation between creaturehood and death must be rethought. Nevertheless, there has been a persistent strain of theology that has not been content to see redemption as an emergency measure and has been willing to undergo the spiritual struggles consequent on an alternative view. Perhaps Martin Luther stated this position most simply, God created us just in order to redeem us. The most famous line from the exultate of the Easter Vigil proclaims it most drastically. O fortunate sin, Felix Coppa, that occasioned such great redemption. And then Jensen says, you know, he'll follow with this line with Luther, Bart, the medieval Franciscans, the Calvinist superlapsarians, and others, accepting the resultant burdens. For the present purpose, it will suffice to say that something like Bart's teaching must be true. The goal of God's path is just what does, in fact, happen with Jesus the Christ. And sin and evil belong to God's intent precisely, but only as they do appear in Christ's victory over them. I will stand with Jensen, Bart, the Franciscans, and well, I'm not really into the Dutch superlapsarians. <laughs> well, I mean, they're not really. I just thought this is not. I don't, well, you're with them. So you're with. You're yeah. with us. Those your. You're, uh, There's two things you, I can't you're stand: with, <laughs> the intolerant and the Dutch. <laughs> you're with you're with the uh, you're with the hyper Calvinist Dutch people. So good for you. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question: Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it? because of the conversations you find here. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Cress, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, Jim Kirk, Samantha Konauer, and Jordan DeMaze. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. Well, no, I, I think in terms of certainly, um, what was Jeff's question? Why don't we put that back up? All right, we got Jeffrey Carter from California via Facebook says, how is the issue of emergency measure or eternal plan affected by evolution, an evolutionary view of human origins in your respective views? I would say that superlapsarianism squares better with evolution than does infralapsarianism. Well, first of all, I, I think those are not our only... Well, I'm, I, okay. You I think, can, you I, can, I, you I can think come I'll up have... with another. I'm just going, well, I'm going with Jensen, Bart, Luther, the Franciscans. You can have Irenaeus. Yeah, <laughs> and the Greek fathers. And the Greek fathers. What did they do? <laughs> gave us the Trinity. Ah, we would like we would have came up with that anyway. <laughs> that's like that's like uh, Jerry and George in the sci-fi where they argue over their favorite uh, explorers. He's like Magellan. Jerry says Magellan. Magellan. Yeah, around the world. He says, "Well, who's your favorite?" George goes, "Desoto discovered the Mississippi." 
Like, we wouldn't have found that anyway. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think, uh, first of all, I, I think uh, there's an inherent problem with the whole trying to figure out the mind of God in this. Uh, you know, I don't even, the, the idea that the plan for salvation is an emergency measure, I think that even calling it that eternal plan versus emergency measure biases the biases the the argument even before it begins i, I, mean, I think a lot of preaching is that way though i, I think well, I, I, i'd I, say I mean, the vast majority of preaching is sets it up that it is an emergency you know like at least if we were talking about the fall and things like that and even i mean yeah i think that that this idea that things are radically railroaded you know in a way in the fall i i think that's pretty well, common I think teaching. Pe- well i think people all right there's a lot of things to does that I mean, the fact that it's presented that way doesn't mean that it's the right way to present it, and that right, doesn't the right mean, way to the way right way to present it is the way Jensen, Bart, the Francis, <laughs> even the Dutch Calvinists, some of them, particularly the Dutch Calvinists, not particularly, not the particularly, particularly the Dutch Calvinists, right? But I, I do. I By th- the way, do you know what I learned today? That there was a Jansenist uh, decree. God, please save us from sufficient grace. <laughs> I love that. I love the Jansenists. <laughs> I, I, I still, I think there's. Uh, uh, an, an attempt to uh, read back from making sense. I mean, the New Testament is trying to make sense of the crucifixion. Res- and then under inspiration from uh, what's that? Who? Oh shoot! The Greek fathers said they were one of the, gave us the tra- Holy Spirit. Right, right. Gotcha. There you go. I would still answer with you the same thing happens in brother Mark Kars, brothers Kamadzov. In other words, so the story of the Turkish soldier who has the child and the child's playing with the you know gun and eventually shoots the child in front of the. Um, child's mother. I mean, we don't even have to go to fiction for that kind of thing to say. I would say with um, the agnostic brother that one child dying that way is too much for the glory of God. I think this is probably where traditional theology hits its biggest wall. I mean, for if you have, if you have to make sense of the incarnation and redemption by saying that the God who we say is good is ultimately the author of evil, then in many ways we're back to a, a Monist, monism kind of, a monist kind of position. I, I, I think, I think, unless you want to go like a kind of processy route, which I think so- solves the problem. Like, I, I mean, I don't think it solves it sufficiently. Like, you know, I, I think I would not want to give up, but I think that would, but I think sort of trying to stay within the realm of something like anywhere near traditional Christian conceptions of God. And again, I, I have no problem with, with, well, not all the traditional orthodoxy, but, but, but not all the traditional concepts of God are biblical. I mean, there's there 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 also there is a reworking of biblical images of God through through philosophical thought. But I, I go ahead, I interrupt you. But I, I, I mean, agree. you know, okay, let's look at the Joseph story, right? That stranger he meets at Dothan, right? That's almost like God put the stranger there to tell him where to find his brothers. I mean, the, I mean, the literary pet force of that. I mean, oh well, right, I know, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, certainly, I'm not saying there's not providence and. God, God hardens Pharaoh's heart to do evil. So you actually think that's literally that he God literally needed to tell Pharaoh, "Oh, you need to mistreat your slaves." Uh, I, I'm not saying I'm. I'm reading the. I'm like a good. Bill, you're a chitristic. I'm just a simple Bible guy. I read the text. You're not a simple Bible I guy. I read the text. And you're, I, a, you're a theologian. I, I read the text. You're and it th- says God hardened his heart. He, now, if what you're saying is that doesn't that it's saying figuratively God didn't harden his heart. Well, there you go. All right. You you're, could, you could say that. You're a theologian who just plays with the Bible. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, I'm just reading it. No, what I'm, I'm saying— reading, but, I'm reading but the census literalis. You know? Well, but I think—I do think there's a sense— getting back to Jeff's problem, I mean, there, 
I'm willing to say that there was something broken from the beginning in creation, or you don't even have to say it's broken, that the fact that the very nature of God creating something is it's going to be less than God. So that there, you know, this is, you know, I think with on the Greek side of the Christianity that probably the problem of us being human um, is part of the distance between us and God is, is as much as an existential one or a, whatever you want to call it, a nature one as it is an issue. So I, I do think how I would, an evolutionary view, I would say that, you know, the fact is that God created a good creation, but it was a creation um, that was never going, was not perfect from the beginning. Yeah, God, creation's goodness doesn't lie in its perfection, but its perfectibility. It can go somewhere. It can be changed. It but can, can, it, can it be good as it's an act of God? I mean, can it just be a good in and of itself? I mean, right, because, no, well, I because think, God said it's good. No, right, but I mean, I'm saying it's goodness doesn't need to be perfect. So right, the fact, no, the no, fact no, that and the Bible red, doesn't never says that, that it's red in tooth and claw doesn't mean it's not good. And it's also the creation that's red in tooth and claw can also become is, is hopefully the place where the lion lays down with the lamb. So it's so it, it its initial goodness doesn't require its state of uh, perfection or or transformation for it still to be good. Yeah, I agree. Right, with you. right. So. I guess from the evolutionary point of view, first of all, I don't, I don't know that this, that this, those, these two options fit well into an evo- totally ev- into an evolutionary view. I do understand why you said it kind of fits on one level. You can make it fit a superlapsarian because from the beginning, God didn't create a perfect world. He created a world where death was part of the part of the machine from the beginning. I hope we get a world eventually where there's mutants like the X Men. I would love to be a mutant. Uh, of course, then we. I would get like underwater breathing or something. I wouldn't get a cool. Because the problem, part of the problem with yeah, you know, which we both have, yeah, you know, we both have a problem with the literal sense is that because we both had you know affirm at least you know that that uh, there was an evolutionary process that brought life here. We both have a problem with where it says that death entered into the world through sin, right? Because death was there first. Yeah. So we we bump. So, by into, the way, do you know spiders can fly? Using electromagnetic I read, the, I, read the, I read the same thing. That's amazing, right? They used mm. to think it was like they were parachuting with, right? Because they make the spinning kind of motion. Right. That's so cool. Well, the other thing is the migration. What they really think why migration is 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 it could be the fact that you know the, the relationship between the molecular relationship to thing, things over a long distance. You know, part of the quantum physics how things can affect each other from a long distance. So cool. So it's so that. cool. Yeah. So I mean, to me, there's a sense where. Um, um, I understand why um, we get to the point of having this discussion, um, but I ultimately think it's an unhelpful discussion. Um, I think because it um, helped Jensen get two pages of a systematic study. <laughs> <laughs> and I, have a, I have a lot of relationship, happy relationship. But so I mean, uh, I like Jensen, but uh, our streaming stopped for some reason. Oh, but um, um, you know, it's, it's the same thing in terms of. You know, we kind of hope that you know we don't we're not we don't have an inherent uh, uh, beef against universalism happening. You know, in other words, I still remember Dow. says, so I'm not universalist. I just don't understand why some people are so upset about right, it. Right, right. I'm not a universalist, <laughs> but I hope God is. Yeah. So I mean, I feel the same way. But I, I don't. I don't know that this speculative question actually helps us. Uh, and I think. I think. I, I would. I would say certainly when you say you stand with the Franciscans. Uh, and the Augustinians, and some, or at least one version of the Augustinians, and Luther and Calvin and Bart. I would say, yeah, I, I and even the Dutchies, and particularly the Dutch. Yeah. They're the ones that start. That's what. Yeah, I know. That's what I know. But I would, I would, um, I would kind of rather leave it 
You'd be with the other duchies. I would rather leave it with uh, the mystery of, as Aquinas did and some others as well. So So I'll say this in conclusion. Just beautiful writing here. This is from Jensen. So also a mystery of suffering, of an interplay between created regularities and evil must belong to the plot of God's history with us and to the character of its crisis and fulfillment. One of the last prophets of Israel spoke in God's first person, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, that the sheep may be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. I will refine them as one refined silver. Then I will say, They are my people, and they will say, The Lord is our God. Also, such terrible prophecy must somehow become true and good in the last fulfillment, and the identity of God must somehow be told also by it. That's beautiful. You know, one thing I will say, I'm not... I'm not comfortable uh, on a lot of different levels making God the author of sin, but I fully embrace the idea that in the cross he took responsibility for it. Amen. Amen. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening and God bless.